0: So, Berto, someone wrote in, and they want our advice about how to deal with a relationship in what, you know, they're she's married, and they're not having sex anymore, and they're having some conflict about it. And so, I thought I would read her email, and we could talk about advice or different approaches to that, since it's commonly a thing that couples will, and individuals will come to me in therapy for, they'll right. sit in my office and actually uh present this as something that they want to work on what do you say
1: that sounds fascinating let's delve in
0: okay so i'm gonna have this email be anonymous patron Uh, i wasn't sure if you wanted me to read your name so i just gonna read this anonymous so i'm gonna break her email into a few parts and we'll just sort of okay chime in now and then so she says kirk My husband and I have been together for nine years.
1: By the the way, what are we listening to right now?
0: Oh, this (laughs) is called the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, (laughs) Dr. Kirk Honda. I am a professor and a therapist. My name is Humberto Castaneda, and I was an open heart surgeon, but my hands got injured. So she says, my husband and I have been together for nine years. We've been having problems for a while now with intimacy and trust. It's been about five years since the decline of our sex life, and we've been arguing a lot about it. He thinks my attention must be going elsewhere. He has accused me of everything from having, a, having an affair to being a lesbian. At first, I didn't know what was wrong with me. Berto, any thoughts? That's that. I have to imagine that that would be very common, that one person
1: is feeling, you know, like, wait, what's going on? Why are we no hanky-panky? And then they start thinking, wait a minute, is it me? Is it some other person? Is it that they're, yeah, like, have they switched uh sexes, interests? Uh, but rarely, I, I have a feeling rarely people might be like, oh, I wonder if they're having a difficult time at work or I wonder if they're feeling depressed or I wonder, you know, it's probably the the first
0: few thoughts are usually probably more, more soap opera-like. Right. It's A very common presenting problem in couples therapy, as I was saying before, I talk with lots of people about this, and it's, you know, first of all, it's really natural for couples to grow apart over time. It doesn't always happen, and there are ways to prevent that, but I've seen it a lot, both personally and professionally particularly at the around the the seven-year mark, like the five to nine-year. They call it the seven-year itch. That's right. Well, they call it that for a reason. I haven't looked up the research, but I I definitely see relationships. There are different milestones. Mm -hmm. You have, for instance, in many of the dating relationships now, because there's online dating and so many people you can start dating, there's often a threshold that's a week in now. Oh, really? Yeah, Not used to, 5 minutes? <laughs> yeah. Well, it used to be like, you know, a few months or something, but now if if you can get through a week, you know, you meet someone on Tinder and you date them for a week, <laughs> like you've crossed a threshold if yeah. you if you're into that second week, you know? That's right. And then there's other milestones, like the 3 month or the 6 month ish kind of thing or the year. And then there's a there's usually a uh, a threshold at the eighteen to twenty-four month mark. I crossed the two
1: drink threshold with a gal at a bar one time. Yeah, well, in Vancouver.
0: That's that's. Are you sh- are you sure she was even talking to you, or you were just maybe 2 drunk? Maybe I crossed the
1: two drink boundary, uh, or maybe it was the twenty drink. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And are you sure she just wasn't
0: your bartender? Because well, was it you? Maybe it was you. Yeah. I don't know who it was. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, at the seven year mark which they have crossed recently because they're 9 years now. It it there's a there's a there's a threshold there and there are certain tasks that are common to couples. They've like, been together uh, 9 years you said? 9 right. years. Wow. Right. Okay. So, you know, things like sexuality because sexuality often becomes cool over time. Mm. Whereas in the first year or two, there's very little problem. Typically, there are problems with sexuality in the first couple of years for some people, mm-hmm. but often it's it's very easy for new couples to drum up the motivation or to forego the normal barriers that that get in the way later on. In many
1: cases, relationships start via the sexual route, right? Like you are attracted to each other. And then you meet, and pretty soon you're kissing, making out heavily, pretty soon you're having sex, and that's kind of like, you probably start doing those kind of activities before you even find out, you know, what your parents' names
0: are. Where did you, or were you born? What was your early childhood like? <laughs> right. Or maybe even more specifically, the sorts of insecurities that the other person has. There's yeah. just not as much at stake in the beginning of the relationship, <laughs> even though it's intense and you might really love that person, there's a level of vulnerability that grows over time that is not as present as it is in the beginning. You know, if you fall in love with someone and a month later they dump you, that's different than if you fall in love with someone and 20 years later they dump you. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just as time goes on, you get more vulnerable and people start getting in more conflicts and they start hurting each other and they start distancing each other to protect themselves they might have kids this couple they actually have kids and so you focus on the kids you're busy with work you neglect your relationship and before you know it you're just no longer really connecting over time and there's not a lot of goodwill and there's no routines of 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 love between the two of you and so so in in, in regards to his his you know he's accused me, of everything from having an affair to being a lesbian. These are really common paranoias for people who feel neglected, both men and women. When they feel neglected by their partner sexually, they will say things like this. First, you're obviously have you must be having an affair. Otherwise, because when we first met, you wanted to have sex all the time. And now you don't want to ever have sex. So mm-hmm. you're, you must be getting it somewhere, Right is the thought or you used to be so attracted to me what happened well maybe you're a lesbian now <laughs> you know right. it, 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 now certainly those things happen but it's not likely right right also gender plays a role frequently in heterosexual relationships depending on your culture men are socialized to connect via sex and really no other way and women are socialized to connect via connection and vulnerability and this sort of thing and so you put and they're essentially men and women are socialized in different cultures and some people say that heterosexual romantic relationships are cross-cultural like if an American marries someone from East India, you know it's right. it's like you are different cultures and so men cisgender women cisgender men in in heterosexual in the United States, when they come together they've been socialized completely differently when it comes to love remind me what cisgender is that the it's the opposite of 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 transgender so Wait, what does cis stand for uh, i don't think it stands for anything it's just just a word like oh, weird. like transgender just cisgender okay it might stand for something but it's one word cisgender cisgender yeah you can shorten it to say you're cis you know, I'm a cis male or something. I'm a you'll, cis. you'll start hearing that more and more because there needs to be a label that demarcates the fact that you're cis. There's just, because you can't just say I'm male and then right. everyone else is trans male or, you know, you have I'm to
1: non-trans or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. There's
0: no word for non-trans. You have to say cis, so. Okay, so let's get back to her email. She says, I started looking into it. I've looked into everything, such as hormone levels, attachment theory, resentment and projection i've realized that i don't like being vulnerable and i usually end relationships after a year i hate the thought of someone knowing what makes me happy or sad or angry because i don't want to give them anything they can use to hurt me this is because i had a very narcissistic mother who was also a drug addict Mm. i have always presented myself in a very strong independent way I told my husband that I discovered that I have a fear of vulnerability. And he told me, I'm your husband. You have to be vulnerable with me. What do you think, Berto? Well, that
1: that's, uh, sounds like she's done a lot of self-introspection and really looked at you know, different reasons why she might be feeling or not feeling uh, in these ways. Um, it seems like the question of, does one have to be vulnerable To be in a relationship is an interesting one. Um, I think that any time you open up as a human being, you're already being a little vulnerable. You know, as soon as you start talking with someone, there's some vulnerability there. Um, As to whether you have to be, I feel it's more like you are whether you like to or not. You are vulnerable when you're in a relationship. I don't know if I'd say that you have to be. It's more like you just are
0: uh, I will say, it depends on what we mean by vulnerable, that we, I would say we people have to be vulnerable. Now, there are different styles of relationships. Some people prefer to be a little more distant, and there's nothing wrong with that. Some people prefer to be very close and vulnerable. There's nothing wrong with that. But there are inevitable conflicts that happen and, and needs that that are not met. When, for instance, her she is hurt by the things he's saying, you have to communicate that, it, that those things hurt, and that's vulnerable to say that. I'm not talking about laying your life open yeah. to, to being harmed, but I'm saying you, you can't... Like, for instance, someone at work hurts your feelings. Well, if you don't trust that person, you might not necessarily tell them, hey, you hurt my feelings, even yeah. though you could say that, but it's vulnerable to say that. In all likelihood, you'll just... Act like it didn't hurt you, and then you'll go home and and complain about it, right? Right. Well, with your partner, there are limitations to that approach, in that if your partner doesn't understand the things that hurt you or the things that you need, which require vulnerability, then your partner cannot meet your needs. Right. So, I would say that it is a necessary part of being in a close relationship. Yeah, I
1: guess maybe it's the same thing. I would have just flipped it around, maybe, and say, look, you're going to be vulnerable... You, you. What you have to do is you have to be, uh, you know, receptive to that vulnerability and open to to like what you were just saying. How can you help your partner through those vulnerabilities? You know, and that's that's interesting. So it's, I know a couple. Sorry, I know a couple that's been together for for you know I don't know four decades or something, five decades, and they sleep in separate bedrooms. They never show any PDA, no public displays of affection whatsoever. But they're still together and, you know, I'm sure they'll they'll die before they would ever not be together. Um, I think they've figured out ways to hide each other's vulnerabilities or not deal with it, you know. And it, right. I'm not saying it's great, but it, it somehow provided a functional balance for them.
0: Well, culturally, people would look at that and say that that was sad and that they have a terrible relationship, that they're just faking it or something. But and certainly that can be true but it's not it's not a for sure thing yeah. some like i was saying some people prefer to have distant romantic relationships they're more independent they're more loners and they come together there are couples that are married for 20 years and they choose not to even live with each other and many people would say that that is completely dysfunctional but that's a cultural judgment right love is something of a preference. You love the way you want to love and you're, you have a right to have the relationship that you want. And, and some couples are choosing to sleep in separate rooms because of snoring or, and, and th- there shouldn't be any shame about that. Right. It's just a matter of, of, of preference. Now, if you're sleeping in separate rooms because you can't stand each other and, <laughs> and you're, either afraid of being vulnerable and trying to address these issues to improve your relationship or you're afraid of divorce because you're too old and you don't think that, you know, anything is available beyond the threshold of divorce, then that's a whole other thing. But it's really case-by-case basis.
1: And it also, I think, used to be probably less common, uh, at least in this culture, for couples to be so open with each other. Like when when I see... Couples that are now old old folks, and when you watch movies and things like that from from the fifties or or older um it, at least the depiction and what you hear from people was a lot more kind of daily pragmatic living rather than tell me what's wrong with you, what
0: is bothering you? you know these seem to be not things we would do <laughs> absolutely. The gender roles in recent American history culture were quite rigid and therefore it prevented couples often from actually having intimacy. It's hard to know where we were before that because yeah. we our observations only go back so far. It maybe five hundred years ago people were much more open with each other. Maybe there are some cultures where husbands and wives were extremely vulnerable with each other. It's just hard to know. There's a, it's just a common misconception, I think, that we automatically know that every— and you weren't saying this, but I hear this— every culture was extremely rigid and, quote-unquote, t- traditional as a reflection of w- the way it was in the 50s, for instance. Right. You know? But there were particular forces on the American culture in mid-20th century that were particular to that time. Mm-hmm. For instance, industrialization. In the past, you the vast majority of people and many people today, you live on a farm, on a farm. Yeah. And you have five kids and you're always within a within 10 feet of your wife or, yeah, yeah. or husband. <laughs> and you know everything about each other and you got to get along, right? And so it it's a, it's a different thing when we start looking at other <laughs> kinds of cultures. That
1: is funny to think like
0: you know, today you could say, oh,
1: how was work today? I don't want to talk about it, right? Uh, or how was your trip, your business trip? I don't want to talk. Back then it's like, how was the grass outside of our door today? Well, you saw it because we, we just walked out. Right. There's the cow. Right. We
0: <laughs> You shared everything together. Yeah. you. It was an intimate life together. <laughs> and... Cheating would have been a lot harder. Yeah. Right? Where did you go for the last three months? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) To get some milk? (laughs) Yeah. Um, One of the cows wandered (laughs) off. I just kept chasing her and, you know, one thing led to another. (laughs) And now I have another wife. All right. Going on with the email. I'm also realizing that I'm angry at him. I'm very angry at him. He comes off as inconsiderate with my feelings and tells me I'm silly for thinking about things that stress me out. When I tell him I'm upset about something he did or said, he blows it off like it's not that big of a deal. He didn't like he didn't do anything wrong. When this happens, I shut down. What do you think about that, bro?
1: Interesting. And I wonder if, if the reverse happens where stuff she does is exagger you know, it's like is a big deal to him. Like if she if she does something quote unquote wrong if for him that's like wow why why did you mess up like this right and then when when she points something else wrong or something that he did he's like ah that's nothing it sounds like maybe that's a dynamic happening um, I could see like even myself like if someone was doing that to me I could see myself being like well all right I'm not that that doesn't seem to make me horny horny <laughs> If someone was, if dis- someone's treating me like that, like, discounting your feelings, yeah, and, yeah. And I'm saying, I'm saying, ah, oh, you, you know, you did this thing and it, it's affecting me. Ah, get over it.
0: That's not an aphrodisiac. Please. Oh, well,
1: actually, wait, say that again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's go on with the email, and I want to talk about attachment and other kinds of things. But before we do that, let's take a break. What do you say? Okay. Okay, we're back. If you haven't already become a patron of the podcast, do so now, because we want you to become a patron, and that's just the only thing that we want anyone to do. Join the family. Join the family. We are one. And when you email us as a patron, we're much more likely to read it on the air like we are right now. And less likely to make fun of you, honestly. That's right. (laughs) Well, we obviously, whenever someone you know, writes in and they're just a listener and not a patron, we just ridicule it yeah, like for for years. Yeah. We like post it up on the wall and just point and laugh. Yeah. So if you don't want that to happen to yeah. you, become a patron.
1: Hey man, blackmail and uh what's the other thing? The
0: Coercion. Coercion, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh let's go on with the email. He wants things fixed without a lot of process to it. I ask him to cuddle and he says why would I give you what you want if I don't get what I want? I tell him this, and he says that I only think about the negative, and I have to know he is coming from a positive place because he's my husband, and he wouldn't have married me just to belittle, just to belittle me for the rest of my life. And she wants to know our opinion. She says, thank you so much for all that you do. What do you think about that one?
1: Interesting. So, so uh, let's, let's reconstruct that. She... Um, is she the one asking to cuddle? or Is he asking to cuddle?
0: Yeah, she says I, I want to cuddle, right. and he's like, "Why would I give? Why would I cuddle I with see. you if you don't have sex with me?" I see.
1: Okay, so now stepping into the other person's shoes for a second, um, irrelevant of how we got to this point, I could see the following: if if the other person is feeling unwanted, unattractive, you know, undesired, which sounds like he may be feeling that way, um, I could see. Them saying to themselves and then to her saying, look, um, I've made all the moves or I'm always the one making the moves. You don't seem interested. So why should I even bother? Like I could kind of see that dynamic uh, playing out. Uh, and it's unfortunate because it means it's gotten to that point. Um, right.
0: Then it just becomes tit for tat. Yeah. Yeah. And whenever you ask for something the other person is saying well you didn't give me what i want so i'm not if 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 that's your mentality in your marriage believe me you're doomed
1: there also might be fear on his part that if he does cuddle that it will just be cuddling right and i know that doesn't sound fearful or like scary to some people but in his mind it's like he's horny or whatever he wants sex and he's sitting there like i got to cuddle okay let's say let's say we cuddle and then he starts cuddling and everything that's running through his mind is Okay, how much longer do I have to cuddle? How much longer do I have to cuddle? Wait, nothing's happening. And then he starts getting frustrated. Then he starts getting, uh, what do you call, resentful again. And then it's back to square zero.
0: Right. The thing is, is that men are socialized to completely laser focus on intercourse specifically. And the fact is, is that humans are way more varied than that. That men and women regardless of what gender identification you have are social creatures that need physical warmth from the day we're born as soon as we're born we need our parents to hold us against their bodies to you know be close nearby Physic- physically when we leave infants in the crib without holding them for a, you know, a, an adequate amount of time, which in the beginning is 24-7, then children fail to thrive, they say, and some of them even die. It increases fatalities around this. Yeah. But there's low, lower weight, lower cognitive development, all these kinds of things. That is not relegated to infancy that l- persists throughout our entire life. And it makes sense that we would have a need for human closeness because those who craved that warmth and that bonding behavior with other primates would survive on you know in the wilderness more yeah. likely because they're not wandering off and they build relationships that are uh, you know kin who will defend you or give you food when you're tired or sick or something And all of that is facilitated through physical warmth. Sex is a part of that, but a very small percentage of the overall warmth that we all need as human beings.
1: Yeah, but, but okay. Yeah,
0: go ahead. Americans are terrible at this, by the way. Particularly those who descend from the northwestern part of Europe. And also, to some extent, Japanese people. (laughs) Yeah. Which I, in my family, get the double whammy of.
1: Meaning that that there's no modeling of just sitting and holding someone or... Well, there's a culture
0: that says that you don't need that. And a culture that says that that is unbecoming or unnecessary or fosters dependency or something. Japanese people are notorious for that and... Also, so are Swedish and uh British people, which are the other people I descended from so I have a double whammy of of a lack of now having said that, there was a in my family a a pretty good amount of physical warmth in my family, and I have three siblings, and we were always rolling all over each other and you know and just yeah. just being physically warm with each other. And so, anyway, my point is is that because Americans have been socialized and raised in this anti-touching environment, you have what I find to be two obvious symptoms. One is, is the increase in pets, in pet ownership, and pet love. There was a time when plenty of people didn't have any pets. Now, Everyone has at least one, seemingly, if not multiple pets. And what do we do with our pets? We We cuddle. We pet them. (laughs) We pet, we cuddle with them. We love them. And these are, these are, um, you know, surrogates for the warmth that we crave from other human beings. Also, another manifestation is you find men completely obsessed with sex because you tell men, uh, you tell all people you can't touch each other, but particularly men, because if men touch each other, they're gay, which is the worst thing ever. Well, you also tell them they
1: can't touch women right. un- un- until some very, very narrow circumstances
0: are met. Right. Yeah. So say you're 10 – and I actually, I'll tell you a story, and I might have said this on the podcast before. When I was in the second grade in Sunny Hills Elementary in what is now Sammamish, Washington – we were completely um, involved in each other's um, space. I remember whenever the lights went out for a movie or a slide projector thingy, we would all get down on the ground, uh, you know, in the library, and all the boys and girls would cuddle. Right. There was no sex. There was no sex. I mean, we didn't even know what that was. Right. It was all just like back rubs and just. Warmth. Physical right. warmth. During recess we would play soccer and then other times we would we would hug each other and, and it was everyone it was all mutual. Boys and girls, there was no yeah. differentiation between boys and girls. And
1: nothing past fifth base. Nothing
0: <laughs> and so I remember in third grade, for I have no idea why, it completely did a 180. Mm. And no one touched each other, and everyone was insecure, and there was a very firm boundary between boys and girls, and everyone understood that touching was shameful, and that sexuality was, even though we had no idea what sex was, it was all shameful. I, I just, re- I remember in third grade, mm. I was eight or something, <laughs> I remember thinking back, four months ago, we were all different, and now we're all this way, and, be- and, and I loved it before and I hate it now. <laughs> And so you get these men who are completely touch-deprived, and they have one justifiable venue for physical warmth, and that is through intercourse. And I, I, I don't even say sex, because sex can involve lots of things that don't even involve intercourse. Sure, You can make out, or cuddle, or be naked together, or there's, you know, there's there's lots of things. You the can feather do. in the bum. Feather in the bum. And whatever in the bum. Yeah. You could put anything in the bum. As long as it's sexually done, right. then it's not intercourse. And so there are just this tremendous pressure for men to have intercourse all the time because they have a quotient of physical warmth that they need physically. It's not just a intellectual desire it's a it's a physical biological need and when they can't get that sex it destroys them because it's their one way of having that human need met and then you have these women who are just like my god what is this pressure all the time you know what what what's now of course there are women who will pressure men so i'm not going to generalize completely but In my experience, there are more men who are pressuring women to to, to do this. And because many women are allowed a little bit more of physical warmth with children, with each other, with other, even with animals. You know, when when women uh, cuddle with cats and this sort of thing, it's it's more socially acceptable than when a a man does. Yeah. I,
1: I have a little different take on it, though, because, which you may not like but uh, you know if you watch a lot of animal species where the males are physically dominant they they sort of get to have sex with whoever they come around unless there's another competitor male and they just do it i have a feeling that we over the many years we developed society at some point men established those same boundaries because men were like well I don't want just any guy coming around touching my women. So we're going to slowly but surely implicitly set it up so that you're not really supposed to touch women unless you're married to them and in the bedroom. And um, and then that led to, and this is where I t- do tend to agree with you, that led to the unintended consequence of extra fr- uh, pent-up sexual frustration that now was, is manifested in, in a lot of unhealthy ways. But as an example, I grew up in a different culture where when we were in, even in pre-teens and we would go to dance, dances, you dance very together, close the whole time with many different partners. Uh, you would always greet women after, after a certain age, you always greet women with a kiss on the cheek, sometimes two. (laughs) Um, there is lots of hugging, but, there's still there is still definitely um, the the dynamic of guys hunting for sex and women kind of right. choosing and picking the,
0: the behavior of men being pressured around sex or creepy. Yeah, has multiple factors, in, including just masculinity in general yeah. in yeah. terms of that being socialized, and you know perhaps biology. Your speculation about. Early humans, I have to say, based on what I know about research regarding early human social life and behavior is likely not correct.
1: But, but then throw away my early humans. Just look at the extremes of this today where there's very repressive societies that say women will have to cover everything – because men can't be trusted right, and the, but, the downside of that approach is then men
0: right. develop rage and right. uncontrollable sexual urges. right so the only th- we can't say anything about the African Pleistocene around humans regarding that. What we can say is those societies exist today, and we can look to recent history for examples of how all of that leads to today. And we can absolutely say that there are social forces that uh, are, uh, and more and sir, sort of more experts uh, uh, that know more about this than I do will tell me that when we became more less of hunter gatherer types of people and more sedentary for agriculture, it it forced people to stay close cl- many people to stay close to each other and then and our sort of quote unquote natural tendency to start wandering with our sexuality <laughs> men and women created murder and chaos and war and so laws emerged yeah that's what i was saying right and then i think that as a result of that the un- one of
1: the unintended consequences was not everywhere in the world not at all times but in many cases men and women sitting there in a corner being like god damn it, I want a, I want intimacy and I can't have it unless I meet these very very narrow like requirements
0: right and you bring up colombian culture which has a different aesthetic when it comes to yeah. male and male or you know f- touching it doesn't eliminate the creepiness, so to speak, but it, it does provide that need to be to be touched and to have warmth. That's right. There are 16-year-old white American boys who are literally touching not a single human being yeah. for months and months and months yeah. because it's not a, cult, a, a custom in their family. Other boys aren't going to touch him because that's yeah. that's gay. And if he doesn't have a a girlfriend, then... Or even if he does, there's a chance that he doesn't ever have much time to to cuddle or to have contact with her, and so what does he turn to? Can you guess what he turns to? Violence. Well, the worst kind. Well, that. But what else? Oh, but yeah, and uh, certainly people can turn to violence or sports or something. But, uh, but masturbation. <laughs> right. They <laughs> yeah. turn to porn and masturbation yeah. because it's a pseudo. It's a pseudo warmth. You're 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 touching yourself, but you're fantasizing about someone touching you. Yeah. Or people turn to sex workers or massage therapists or, you know, and there's professional cuddlers, but anyway. So getting to your email, patron, I'll say that you and your husband follow a very similar dichotomy regarding attachment insecurity. Without going too much into the weeds, there are, uh, in essence, the easiest way to explain this is... There's two types of – a based on the way you were raised from your own parents and caregivers from zero to five, you – each of us have our own attachment style. And there are two basic umbrellas. You have your secure attachments and you have your insecure attachments. If you're securely attached, then you manage relationships fairly well. It's not like you don't ever have problems, but you manage to – Love people, but give them space. You manage, you trust people generally speaking enough to, to manage the, to navigate relationship conflicts. Not always, but you know, you're, you're just better at it. The other type is insecure attachment, meaning that when you were growing up, you weren't given enough love or attention or security or stability, or you were given uh, attention or, or stability with strings attached or something. And so you, you grew up insecurely attached to your parents, and therefore, as adults, you exhibit insecure attachment. There are two types of insecure attachment, uh, m- mainly. Uh, some, there's another third one, but I won't go into. But the two main ones are, uh, so your husband is what we call anxious or preoccupied, insecurely attached, meaning that he's frequently fearful of mm-hmm. losing his wife. Oh, interesting. He's, and he's preoccupied with thinking about her. Thinking about when you know does she love me? Is she? I need you to be you know. When she discovers, oh, I'm 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 never vulnerable with you. He says, oh my god, you need to be vulnerable with me, you know, right. it, because he he's he he is aware. Preoccupied, anxious, attached people are extremely aware of the fact that people are distant from them. That the close that their spouses are distant. They'll if you talk to them, they will complain and say, yeah, my you know, wife, husband is, is too distant or hmm. they're too cold or they're, they don't tell me what's going on. Or I, I feel like we're two ships passing in the night or something, you know, you'll hear these kinds of, cause, cause they're very, they want more and they're not getting it a- and they'll get upset and they'll say ridiculous things like I'm not going to cuddle with you unless you have sex with me. I mean, they'll, because huh, they're, right. they're so they're hurting on a daily minute by minute basis that it's hard for them to to navigate uh, those kinds of relationship uh, moments. The other type of insecure attachment is what we call avoidant or dismissive. Again, same circumstances, essentially. You're parented in such a way that you feel insecure about your attachments, and then you grow up, and what you learn early in life is, I can't depend on other people. Uh, people abandon me, they hurt me, they don't love me properly, and so... I've learned, not consciously, so to speak, but as a child, they they become very independent. Mm -hmm. And they learn to just not even share their vulnerability. And they actually learn to submerge their vulnerability, to submerge their feelings. And so... They build walls. They build walls. Right. So that's what she is. Like literal walls between countries? Yes. (laughs) And so that's what she is, is she exhibits avoidant dismissive attachment and a, a similar... They'll say similar things as her. Like, I discovered that in all my relationships, I was always the one that would leave. Right. The the avoidant dismissive people are always the one to say, like, ah, at the first sign of a problem, they'll they'll run because they're they'll say, I don't need people. I'm okay on my own. I see. And what they will say typically is that they don't have needs. They'll say, I don't I don't have needs. Mm-hmm. they don't even know about their needs but in actuality they have more needs than secure people because they are they've been neglected their entire life but before we get into more of that let's take a break what do you say okay okay we're back so again attachment insecurity she exhibits avoidant dismissive attachment insecurity and she, you know she is she, she shuts down she says that's very common for dismissive people Question it, uh, for yeah. you.
1: Is there, do you imagine that there was some sort of implicit attraction as a result of them being sort of opposites on, this, on
0: yeah. this spectrum? They frequently attract each other. Not because they're opposites. It's a fallacy that opposites attract. What? But Paula, Paula told us. Yeah. It is because these types of attachment insecurities fit well together. Because if you yourself, let's just say, you are the, you know, the patron who is very independent, doesn't like to be vulnerable, shuts down, and distances yourself. Well, but you also have denied insecurity and neediness because you deep down are desperate for human contact, but mm-hmm. you just don't trust it to happen because it, you were denied it as a child. Right. Well, you fit very well with someone who is very anxious and preoccupied about attachment, because they will chase you a lot. Mm. And so if, if you're the one who's distancing and the other one is chasing, then there's always a, a, a closeness that occurs, even though over time, there will be a massive amount of conflict around it, depending on the degree. Right. But if you're avoidant and you meet up with another avoidant person, then you're both distancing yourself from the other person and you'll never have contact. <laughs> two independent people they just they just drift apart ships in the night plus you don't have a viable uh, screen to project your neediness onto which you need you need to facilitate projective identification in order to function in life what about two needy ones so two needy ones go crazy because they are they are fighting all the time and they might go well for a bit of time because they They might love each other very quickly, but they'll very quickly become upset because when you – depending on the degree. But if you're very needy – and by needy, I don't mean negative. I mean everyone's needy. Everyone needs human contact. But if you're insecure about your neediness and you're preoccupied and you're anxious and you're – people who are preoccupied, anxious, attachment style – have a, have a fair amount of paranoia that he's exhibiting, mm. right? He's thinking, you're a lesbian, you're, you're, <laughs> you're having an affair. Like, because you've been rejected when you were a child and abandoned, right. you have this template like, well, people don't love me, people reject me, and when I feel distance, it means, it doesn't mean that we're just having an off day, it means they're moving away permanently. Right? They're going to abandon me, that's, that's the paranoia. And so... Because your, your brain's like... Probably
1: stored some of those signals back when it really meant that you were abandoned or whatever, and you are like, "Oh, I will forever right. <laughs> see that as a red worn red sign,"
0: you know, right? Exactly. And so, when you put two people like that together, they become paranoid about each other, and it explodes very quickly. Right. So, a stable, somewhat stable, the most stable is secure and secure. Those are the if you have two securely attached people together. Research says most you know most stable but another stable configuration but will likely dissolve at some point without help is the uh what we're seeing here is anxious preoccupied with an avoidant dismissive person so um okay what i will say is this you guys need couples therapy with a good couples therapist not every couples therapist is good take it from me Particularly with someone who understands how men and women are socialized regarding attachment, which is something to think about, and socialized regarding masculinity, femininity. Um, Now, the other thing I'll say here is there's nothing in this email that tells me that you two are doomed. I've treated people with much worse problems than this, and they've successfully turned themselves around. Wow. It takes a long time. Couples therapy, like in a situation like this, can take years. But you don't have to meet every week. You might meet every two, three, four weeks, mm-hmm. and I've seen success with that. But like I said, it's a very common problem. I've helped many couples with with worse problems.
1: Your advice is baffling because my instincts would have been, look, set up a situation where he comes home and he finds you with a guy and a girl whom he doesn't know with you yelling that they're so much better than him in every single way. I think that would really turn things around.
0: Yeah. I don't know what sort of kinks you have, my friend, but <laughs> Well, actually, we've talked about we've this. Talked about it. The cuckold <laughs> fetish episode a few couple like a year ago. All right. So, assuming he's not a psychopath, okay? because some people will think that he is because he's he's, a psychopath. Well, he's verbally abusing her and he's, believe me, believe me, there are people listening to her email that are reading into it. And we don't know because I haven't met these people and we're just basing on hers, but there are, there are people listening to that presentation that will think he's a psychopathic domestic violence, horrible human. Oh my
1: God. See, I would have, first of all, uh, Disclaimer to our patron and writer, Um, I don't think this, but I, looking from the outside, looking in with very little context, I would have gone the other direction to say, oh, the person writing that email, I wouldn't call him a psychopath, but the person writing that email seems to show less emotion or less empathy or something like that. I wouldn't have said that the other... What I would have said is something along the lines of like, oh, they seem insecure. They seem very uh, worried. They seem uh, paranoid. All these kind of things. But it's interesting. Like, psychopath? Yeah.
0: Well, or domestically violent or abusive or something like this. I I mean, she asked to cuddle with him. That's a nice thing. He's like, I'm not going to cuddle with you because you don't have sex with me. That's That's not abusive. That's just stupid. Well, depending, believe me, if you saw... What that might have been, you might agree that it's abusive. Now, uh, there's no way to know because it's – I mean, just think about the message there. It's like unless you lay there so that I can have sex with you, (laughs) then I'm not going to give you what you want. You know, it's it's pretty – But
1: but we're – yes, but we're walking into this nine years on, so we don't have the context of where he thinks he's trying to pull these little levers to try to get his life the way he wants it and he can't. Right. And so it's it's not – again, he could be, but it doesn't sound to me like he's like from day one, okay, right. I'm going to blackmail you left and right and right. extort no. you. Yeah, no, I,
0: I, I don't think yeah. – I don't see signs of it, but I'm saying it's just unknown. Some normal, people might go right. to that. But assuming he's not a psychopath and assuming that he's not like a quintessential abusive narcissistic person – and assuming that he has the c- capacity for love and empathy like everyone else, but he's just been socialized weird and he's in a tight spot. That he, Nine years. That it's hard for him to get out of. Um, he He needs to access his feelings and be vulnerable about them while you are compassionate toward him and vice versa. For instance, he could say, and these are just like cheesy words, put it in your own words. But for instance, he could say, it hurts my feelings that you don't want to have sex with me. And that makes me angry sometimes. I want to be close with you and have sex with you. And when we're not close and not having sex, I feel sad. So it sounds childish. It sounds cheesy. But however you put that into words, that needs to be communicated. Those are the kinds of things that need to be said between people. And in my experience, couples that come to me, they've never even come close to those kinds of communications. And then you could say back to them, I'm so sorry about that. I, I really don't want you to be sad. I'm dedicated to finding an answer together. Let's talk about it. Now, with this, you're on the same team. You both want to increase intimacy and sex. You both are on the same page. You both want the same thing. And then you work on it. And that takes time. It You have to... It's 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 never as... And what he th- wants and thinks is... There's an easy answer to this. He, she could just turn it around in her head. But... Even if she forced herself to have sex with him at this point, they've got some deep-seated issues that that need to be worked out. And so so it takes time. There's been a lot of damage, and all that damage is going to take some time to unravel. Uh,
1: A couple questions I would have. One is, uh, has something changed in the last N number of years to where she is, if she asks herself in the cold light of day, is she still actually attracted to him sexually? Well like what his his and his appearance, his behavior over time, the way he does talk to her just makes it so that every time he opens his mouth, it turns her off, I mean these kind of things, yeah, and because because it's one thing to be like, well, yeah, no, I still find him very attractive, and so I just don't really have the energy right I don't really, as opposed to like no, actually, i don 't really find him attractive, you know? yeah, could be and and then the other aspect, the other question that comes to mind is um but you kind of answered it there, I was thinking. Well, is there any value in just in just having sex, like, or yeah. is that counterproductive to some extent? No,
0: it's fine as long as it doesn't feel like she's being raped. Right, do you know true. what I mean? Of course. But yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with that. It's not going to fix the problem. Yeah, yeah. Because there's that's what he thinks the problem is, but that I see. is not really the problem.
1: And in fact, it could it could
0: work backwards because he might start feeling,
1: wait, you're just having sex with me to have sex with me,
0: right? <laughs> Exactly. What uh, yeah. he really wants deep down in my estimation is a partner, is someone who loves him and someone yeah. who is flexible with him, you know, someone who he can depend on, someone who he believes is needs him because that's what he's that's what a lot of people want is yeah. is they want their partner to need them somewhat. Not not too much, but but some because it indicates that you're important in, in that person's life. You Cheap know? trick said it best. Yeah. I want you do to warm, need mate. me. <laughs> um, so,
1: yeah. So, so basically, the uh, the other question is, is should, should they start with the couples counseling? Should they do individual therapy? Should they do both?
0: No, they should do couples counseling. I mean, they should do both. They should do it, but they definitely need couples counseling. Individual counseling can help, but only with an individual therapist that is a couple, like, like, I'm a couples therapist and an individual therapist. I see. And whenever I see couples, I realize there are two sides to every story. <laughs> and so when I see individuals, it's very easy for me to remember that because my my day is, filled, is like half couples, half individuals. And I know people who only treat individuals that are easily seduced by an individual's account of a story and will become very counter-transference- um, against their other partner. Yeah, that person sounds
1: terrible.
0: Yeah, and will actively <laughs> actually tell their client to break up with that person. You need to leave. It's a very common thing. And I think actually research demonstrates that when you have a relational problem and you go to individual therapy, you have a greater likelihood of that leading to divorce than if you go to couples therapy. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, which just makes sense, right? So the other thing I want to say is because of his relational traumas that he likely went through, there's a part of him that thinks you are purposely withholding affection from him. It's not a, an accident. He There's a part of him, not, not most of him, I'm guessing, but there's a part of his unconscious that believes you, patron, are purposely withholding affection from him. You're purposely harming him, which really hurts his feelings naturally, right? And that results in him being angry. And he says... Angry, hurtful things. We've we've heard a few things that he says that are angry and hurtful. And he becomes hyper-focused on sex because that's his own, that's his, that's his sole avenue to intimacy. Because it's too vulnerable to focus on affection, acceptance, love, nurturance, and this sort of thing. This triggers your relational traumas regarding your narcissistic mother, whom you learned to shut down around, and you shut down to him. You become numb like actually neurologically numb you repress your anger which is what you needed to do as a child because you can't be angry at your mom she would abuse you and all like that or at least it would make her more volatile which completely eliminates your libido when you shut your brain down you shut everything down yeah. your anger your your sadness your happiness and your libido your sexuality you can't get horny if you're emotionally numb and so, in desperation, he begs you for an answer to this problem. And so, you turn to the only thing that comes to mind, which is the things that he said or done, which is part of the problem, but it's not, it's only half of the pattern. Mm. And this triggers his fears of being abandoned. So, he tries to convince you that your perspective is wrong because he believes that if he can convince you that you're wrong, then you will love him in the way that he wants you to love him. And this triggers you to become even more numb because just like your mom screaming at you in a narcissistic way, you needed to become numb as a child. You become numb to your husband. This in turn triggers his relational trauma because he, is terrified of being abandoned and he feels your energy moving away from him and the cycle goes round and round and round and round and no sex ever happens. And the two of you focus on sex because it's easier to talk about that than to talk about the reality of this pattern of being relationally triggered. Now, I could be completely wrong about this analysis of this circular causality, this recursive pattern, this nonlinear causality, this mutual causality, if you will. could be wrong. but I've seen this so many times that I can hear the, the signs of the pattern in your email. What do you think, Berto?
1: I, it makes sense to me the way you're describing it. It seems kind of a logical uh, dead spin because yeah, like the one thing triggers the other. you know it's like hey I, I'm not getting what I need and then the other side retreats. Wait. Now, I'm really not getting what I need. Ah, I'm going to retreat further. Right. And it just can
0: spiral. And this is the basis of what we call systemic therapy, systemic family therapy, which is the central feature of the program in which I'm program director called Couple and Family Therapy at Antioch University, Seattle. Systems theory is extremely powerful when analyzing the cause or the diagnosis when uh, we see these kinds of problems in families. Other kinds of perspectives are terrible, in my in my mind. Most of them don't even consider this pattern of back and forth. They might look at him, cognitive therapy might look at him and say, look, you just need to stop thinking about sex. You, mm. you think about sex too much. Just stop it. Just stop it. <laughs> Obviously, that's <laughs> bothering you. So if you just stop thinking about sex, uh, for her... They might say, obviously, you need to start thinking about sex. You know, they're there, right. there very simplistic answers that are isolated to the individual and not looking at the systemic pattern between the two of them. <laughs> Food is making you
1: fat. Just stop
0: eating. Right. <laughs> exactly. Or racism is a part of our culture. Well, how about we just stop? Just make racism illegal. Yeah, just something. stop it yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's like no it's a system why can't we all just get along it all fits together in a in a vast web uh the classic example that i bring up is wolves in yellowstone national park were bothering people so they just killed all the wolves
1: oh i heard about this
0: and or move them or something i think they just killed them And which led to an increase in the deer population, which led to a deforestation, which led to more runoff into the rivers, which killed the fish, (laughs) which led to a complete breakdown of the ecology. So what do you have to do? You got to bring the wolves back, you know, and this denial and ignorance of systems and the reality of systems is part of the problem with therapy today. And, not to sound superior, but I'm going to, (laughs) that without a systemic theory and understanding systems, you will miss, in my estimation, a majority of the issues in couples therapy, a majority of the issues in family therapy, and a majority of the issues that individuals come to therapy for because people come to therapy because they're anxious, they're depressed, they're upset about their relationships. And unless you understand the system in which they're embedded, you will miss the true diagnosis of the problem. And when you treat just that person, you're essentially just getting rid of the wolves in that ecosystem. So you're saying
1: bring the wolves back.
0: He should he should have prostitutes come to his house regularly. I'm saying when a client comes into your office, you have to bring in their wolves and and let the wolves do what they're going to do. Literally? Sometimes that means the wolves are going to eat your clients. Yikes. But... Them's the breaks. (laughs) All right. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Thanks for joining me, Berto. Oh, yeah. And please take care of yourself because... You deserve it.